man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. died on the cross once for all. He saved me once for all. Um, this is not a matter that is in dispute any longer. It is a settled issue. Jesus Christ died for me. Also, the greatest thing Jesus ever did for me was without a word, but by his example. Tell me I was dead wrong. You know how it is in life? You're going along and you just sort of have a momentum of, of how you behave and then you get a momentum of how you treat other people and then you get a momentum of your ideas. It's just sort of like a well-oiled machine. You just, you're just going down the path because everybody knows it's okay not to like people who spitefully use you. And everybody knows that it's okay to harbor just a little bit of resentment against those people who have worked against you or you perceive that they have. You know, it's a well-oiled machine that just runs like clockwork. And every day you don't have, even have to think about it. The, the bitterness and the prejudice and the bigotry is just there. And it's normal. Everybody would tell you it's acceptable. Your society would proclaim how healthy it is to have honest, honest, anger and resentment when it's deserved. After all, you can't let people walk all over you, can you? So you're driving along in this well-oiled machine, and it, it is just getting like a bazillion miles to the gallon. And, uh, and you're, you're running so well. And the problem is you got Jesus in your heart. And when Jesus is in your heart, as he does silly things, like you're rolling along and you're just thinking about how justified you are and who you are and your sin and, and those things because after all, after all, after all. And Jesus in your heart does a silly thing. He reaches down, he's got this toolkit. He opens it up and there's this monkey wrench. And you're all, your well-oiled machine is just going really well. And I don't know how he does it, but he takes that wrench and he just pops it into the gears. Transmission falls out, the engine seizes up, the brakes lock up, you come to a skidding halt, turned around three times, uh, and then wind up sideways, you don't know what's going on, and you look over and say, Jesus, what are you doing? And he says, I'm sabotaging your machine. You can't use it anymore. Most of you know for me, that's when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. You know, I, I just sort of had this, this psychological mechanism going on in my head. And one day, Jesus, you know, and I are, are talking there. We're reading the Bible together. And it's like he got up and he went over and he started washing my, the, the, the feet of my brother. And he sabotaged everything that I thought and felt. We've been looking at Jesus, the saboteur, these past several weeks. I've been suggesting to you that this is what Jesus does when he's uh, around in our lives. The things that we think we know and society tells us are true suddenly fall apart because Jesus sabotages the works 
and he doesn't allow the gears to, to, to mesh any longer, and he brings us up short, and we have to reevaluate and, and, and see in a whole different way how our lives are going. And Jesus, the saboteur, loves us so much that he sabotages the machinery of our self-satisfied, smug, and complacent sin to bring us out of where we are and mold us into his image. So I've been suggesting to you, Jesus, uh, the saboteur. I, I know that's a harsh word for some people. I know it's a painful word for some people. But praise God that Jesus sabotages the machinery of the world, especially in our lives. We've been using the book of Philemon for that. Uh, let me just remind you of the story once again. Philemon, slave owner, has a slave named Onesimus. Onesimus, go figure, doesn't like being a slave. And so Onesimus leaves Philemon's household. He runs away. He goes all the way to Rome, and there by the providence of God, he collides with the apostle Paul. However it works, he becomes a Christian. And uh, Onesimus now, a believer in Christ, is used by Paul in some administrative details. They work together, they serve, they minister together. And so now Paul and Onesimus, they're, they're a team. They are co-workers. And Paul gets to the point, he says, you know, I think I'm going to write a letter back to Colossae. Onesimus says, okay. Doesn't Philemon live close to Colossae, Onesimus? Yes, I believe he does. Why don't you take the letter back? You know, I mean, talk about sabotaging somebody's comfort zone. And so, uh, uh, obviously, Onesimus eventually says, well, sure, I'll take the letter. And Paul says, look, I'm going to write you a note to your master, to Philemon, and I'll just put in a good word for you. So Onesimus takes the letter, Colossians, Philemon, he takes it back, delivers the letter to the church, great he goes to Philemon's house. Now, you can imagine what it was like. Philemon opens the door. Well, he doesn't open the door. He gets one of his servants to. So one of the servants opens the door, ushers Onesimus in, into the room where Philemon is, and Philemon looks up, and there's Onesimus. Onesimus the slave. Onesimus the thief, because evidently he may have taken some money with him. Onesimus, the one that belongs to me, but he hightailed it out of here. Onesimus, the one who did me wrong. Onesimus, the one that all the world says I have a right to punish. In fact, society says I have an obligation to punish him so that everybody else will get the message and they'll behave. He looks up and there's Onesimus. I can see it almost before Philemon gets a word out. Onesimus says, here, I've got a note from Paul. Really? All right, I'll deal with you in a minute. He starts reading this letter. By the time he gets to the end of it, he says, I hate it when Paul does this. <laughs> you know, I just, I just hate it when Paul writes stuff like this so personal. And he looks up, and there's Onesimus, not his slave, his brother. Jesus Christ sabotages where you are and the machinery of your self-complacent, self-righteousness. He sabotages that. So Jesus is the saboteur. Now, one of the things that, that we haven't looked at quite so much uh, uh, yet is that Paul also uh, was something of a saboteur. Jesus is the grand saboteur, le grand saboteur, if you will. That's who he is. 
Uh, he, he's the grand saboteur. He, Jesus is the one who said, don't think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace. I have come to bring a sword. And then he goes on to say, and I've come to set father against son and daughters against mothers and mother-in-laws against daughters-in-law, you name it. I've come to set them against it because by the time I get through, everything you thought about human security is going to be shattered and the only security, hope, and peace you'll have is in me. He said, I haven't come to bring peace. I haven't come to pat you on the back and tell you how wonderful you are. I have come to bring a sword to divide and cut you off from sin and to bring you into the kingdom. And that's going to be a difficult thing. See, Jesus was, is the, the grand saboteur who um, destroys the mechanisms, the machinery of our sin. He's the grand saboteur. Paul's the little saboteur. He is the petite saboteur. <laughs> But as it turns out, Jesus works through Paul to sabotage Philemon's sinful life. Look at uh, Philemon. Book of Philemon, verse 17. Just consider a few things here. First of all, uh, Paul sort of is an agent of sabotage, a provocateur. This is my French uh, um, phase, I guess. But... Um, but after writing everything that he says, you know, that we've looked at these last three weeks, you know, Philemon, I'm glad that you're with the church and you're a refreshment to the church. I just look forward to being with you. You're a great guy, great brother. Sending Onesimus to you. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and when, I, when I come to Onesimus, he's useful to me now. He's become a brother. There he is. I'm sending him to you. So he's talked about all those things. We looked at that last week. But then in verse 17, he's sort of closing down the letter. He says, so, if you consider me your partner... That is, Philemon, if you consider yourself a part of the same ministry that I'm doing, if you consider yourself a partner in this gospel work of sharing the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, the inbreaking of the kingdom of God that tears down every barrier, tears down walls, uh, you know, Philemon, if you're my partner, if you consider me a partner, receive him, receive Onesimus as you would receive me. So Philemon, when you look at Onesimus, I want you to react the way you would react to me. And we could understand that if Paul had said, I'm sending Timothy to you. When you see Timothy, react to him the way you do to me. Hey, great. Timothy, love your preaching. Timothy, love your, your teaching. Timothy, come on in. Let's have dinner together. Timothy, I got a room for you. I want you to be com comfortable. Anything you need, just let me know. Transportation, letters of introduction, whatever it is, Timothy, I, I just want to be here to help because Paul and I, we're partners in this. You're part of Paul's ministry. Timothy, that's great. Come on in. You know, if he'd sent Mark or Luke, we could understand that. Receive him as you receive me. Great. Hallelujah. But Paul says, Philemon, here's Onesimus, the one that you call a slave. I'm standing with him. Receive him the way you receive me. See, Paul became just a little bit of an agent of sabotage when he said, you know, I'm going to stand where Jesus stands. I'm going to stand next to the people that Jesus loves. And I'm going to identify my life with those for whom Christ died. Philemon, receive him the way you would receive me. That dinner party you would throw for me, I want you to invite your former slave 
into dinner with you. I want you to give him a place to sleep. I want you to give him clothing. I want you to take care of him. But most of all, Philemon, I want you to love him. I want you to love him the way Christ loves you. I want you to love him the way you would love me if I were there. And so he says, I'm standing with this guy Onesimus because after all, I want you to receive him the way you receive me. Now, I don't think Paul was always like this. I don't think this is Paul's nature to identify with the folks who are on sort of on the outside of things. I mean, you remember that he was uh, raised up, educated uh, to serve in the Sanhedrin. If he had stuck with his, his career track, he would have been one of the leaders of the, of the ruling council of the Jews, the Sanhedrin. Had he stuck with it, he would have been probably one of the up-and-coming stars uh, in the preaching circuit, everybody buying his scrolls and, and just quoting him to their local rabbi so the rabbi was annoyed. I mean, this, this is the kind of, of, of life that he had coming his way. And so when Stephen, you remember Stephen, the deacon who was brought in front of the council and was asked, you know, what is this thing you're preaching about Jesus? And Stephen goes through the whole history of Israel. He says, you notice, don't you, that every turn the Israelites sinned against God and sinned and sinned and sinned. And then he, Stephen looked at the Sanhedrin and said, by the way, you're just like they are. You're stiff-necked too. Well, the Sanhedrin didn't take too kindly to that. And uh, they figured out that they ought to do something, especially when Stephen started talking about Jesus being son of God and, and all these kinds of things. They took, out, took him out to stone him. And Paul went with them, young man at the time, he went with them. And the scripture says that when they got to the place where they stoned Stephen, they took off their coats so they could get a better uh, you know, aim and, 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 and really get into the, to the task at hand. And they took off their coats and they put them at the feet of a young man named Saul. He eventually became known as Paul. This is Paul. And there is Stephen is being stoned to death. Paul is watching the coats, and you know what's going through his mind. Uh-huh. Got what he deserved. Man doesn't love God enough. Man was, uh, was taken apart by, by this Jesus movement. We've got to put a stop to that because Paul was a part of the power structure. So he was a part of the, of the inside. He was one of the the ruling elite, until he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And all those gears and mechanisms of religion and legalism, all those gears of, of what society ought to be and, and how it ought to run, all those gears that he knew were true about how the Jews were better than the Gentiles, all those were absolutely destroyed when Jesus cried out to him. He said, Saul... Why are you persecuting me? Think it through, Saul. And at that moment, the machinery broke. And Saul came to Christ. His life was never the same. Never the same after that. See, Jesus sabotages the way we feel about life and the way we feel uh, about things uh, in, in general, I mean, th this is the kind of thing that, that happens to the believers in, in Christ all the time. That the, the society says, go this way, and they say, well, no, Jesus went here, I'm, I've got to go here. Society, fine, I'm going over here. Uh, the, the apostles were brought in front of the same council, told not to preach Jesus. Do you remember this, book of Acts? They said, don't preach this Jesus anymore. And they looked back at the ruling leaders, the, the upper crust of the upper crust 
of Jewish leadership and theology, and they looked him square in the eye and said, we must obey God rather than man. And the God they were talking about is God the Father of the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom they knew by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Sanhedrin said, look, we've got our machinery. Don't buck the system. The guy said, no, we've got to follow God. Jesus is over here. That's where we've got to be. And they sabotaged the whole thing because Christ was in them. And so Paul says, um, I, I want you to receive him the way that you would receive me. Paul stood with Onesimus because that's the only place he could stand with Christ in this situation. The only place he could be near to Jesus was near to this slave, former slave, now a brother in Christ. You know, if you stand for Christ, a lot of times you'll stand alone. When you stand for Christ, most of the time, nobody's going to stand up and cheer. No one's going to applaud you. You stand for Christ and you speak a word for Christ and, and no one is going to just marvel at the amazing insight and wisdom that you bring. You stand up for Christ and more often than not you'll be, be cast out as a, as a troublemaker, as someone who won't play ball, who doesn't cooperate, who doesn't go along with the system. Someone who's sabotaging the works when you stand with Christ. See, Paul was a little bit of a saboteur and he was a little bit of a saboteur because he would stand where Christ stand, where Christ would stand. And he was a saboteur by paying the price that Christ would pay. In verse 18, Paul says, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, and this is why we think that perhaps Onesimus had taken some money with him uh, when he ran away from uh, the household of Philemon. And so Paul says, if he's wronged you, at all. And of course, Philemon's natural thing is, what do you mean if? You know, and if he owes you anything, what do you mean if? Charge that to my account. Put it on my tab, Paul says. Now, wait a minute. Was Philemon keeping a tab for Paul? Was, I mean, was there an account book that, that Philemon was keeping? And he said, well, let's see. Paul was here today. He had lunch. He had dinner with me in 1995. Uh, that's right. He didn't eat the rolls in $19.55. You know, 40 cents a roll. Uh, let's see, he stayed two nights, but uh, second night was a reduced rate because we didn't make the beds. Was he keeping accounts? No, of course not. You know, if you said to Philemon, what does Paul owe you? Absolutely nothing. What do you mean nothing? You put him in your house, you put him up, you, you, you fed him, you helped him along the way, you worked with him, doesn't he owe you anything? No, not a thing, not Paul. Not Paul, he's my friend. Not Paul, he, he's my brother. Not Paul, he's the one who shows, showed Jesus to me so I could be saved. Not Paul, he's the one who taught me out of the Scriptures, out of the Old Testament, who the Messiah is and, and what it was all about. Not Paul, he doesn't know me a thing. Not a thing. And so Paul says to Philemon, who's not keeping accounts on Paul, but is keeping accounts on Philemon. What does Philemon owe me? First, he's mine. He owes me himself. Secondly, he stole money. He owes me that. Third, there was work that didn't get done. I had to hire somebody to do that. He owes me that. And then there's personal aggravation. And then, the, then, and then there's just a part of it that, that I, I just don't like him. So Philemon's not keeping an account on Paul because Paul's a brother. But he is keeping an account on Philemon. 
because he's a so-called slave. And Paul says, Philemon, what, whatever Onesimus owes you, put it on my account because I know there isn't one. See? Put it, put it over here on my account because if you're going to treat him, if you're going to treat Onesimus the way you treat me, you're going to start writing off all that stuff. If you're going to love him the way you love me, Philemon, you're going you're to write off all that stuff. See how Paul is sabotaging the economics of it. He says, you're making make a list. In, in fact, Paul goes on to say it this way. Verse 19, he says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. You see, Paul would dictate his letters. Uh, he would dictate his letters, and then for something like this, he would, he would sit down and he would take the quill himself, and he would write, I, Paul, will repay it. So it would be in his own handwriting. That's what, that's what he means. He says, I'm, I'm not even dictating this part. I'm writing it in my own, own hand. I will repay it. Here's my I owe you. Philemon, I owe you whatever you thought Onesimus owes you. Oh, by the way, <laughs> to say nothing, Philemon, of the fact that you owe me even your own self. That Philemon... You owe me, if you're going to keep accounts, you owe me the fact that I shared Christ with you. If you're going to keep accounts, let's talk about who's the debtor. Let's talk about who could not pay the price. Philemon, let's talk about how big an account we owed God. See, in the book of Colossians, the letter to the Colossians, which uh, was sent with this letter through, uh, through Onesimus, uh, in the letter to the Colossians, Paul says, you know, Jesus was, was crucified on the cross, but when he, when he was crucified on the cross, he took a certificate of debt that we owed, and he canceled the debt, having nailed it to the cross. That Jesus Christ took the list of all our sin. He took the list of everything we owed God and had not paid. He took the certificate of our debt, and he stamped on it, paid in full. And he nailed it to the cross. And it is still paid in full. Jesus paid it all. So now we're going to get upset that Onesimus stole a little money from us. Now we're going to harbor a grudge. Now we're going to be bitter. Because Onesimus disrupted my life a little bit. Paul to Philemon is a saboteur. He says, Philemon, you can't think that way. If you think about what Jesus has done for you, you just cannot think that way any longer. Paul stood with Onesimus and said, I will pay the price. Now understand, salvation is free. Jesus pays the price. We pay none of it. It's not like Jesus makes a down payment. We get to make the monthly payments. It's like buying a car for your kid or something. Jesus paid it all, every bit of it, absolute free. Discipleship is costly. Salvation is free, and that is settled. But Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up a cross daily, and you must follow me. Jesus said, no one, when they start to build a tower, 
does so until, first of all, they have counted the cost. Otherwise, they're going to start out and they can't finish it. A king going into battle, he doesn't do it until he weighs the forces and says, am I able to do this? Jesus said, when you follow me, there will be a cost. In this world, you will have trouble and you will have persecution. In this world, things are going to go against you because the world hated your master. They're going to hate the disciple as well. If they crucify Jesus, they're going to try to crucify you. So discipleship has a cost. Salvation, free, obedience costs us something. Now, here's the neat thing about that. When the cost the bill for being an obedient disciple comes. The Holy Spirit poured into our heart, supplying every resource. What? It's going to cost me patience. Holy Spirit gives me patience. It's going to cost me forgiveness. The Holy Spirit gives me a heart of forgiveness. Uh, it, it's going to cost me love. Holy Spirit gives me a love. See, God still does it all. He still gets all the glory for it. But Paul was something of a, of, a, of a little saboteur because he's writing to Philemon and he's, he's saying, look, I'm just going to keep bringing up this Jesus guy until you get the hint of, 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 of the difference that this guy should make in your life. So um, he, he would uh, do that. Um, and then he cashes in on the big IU. He says, look, look, I'll write you an IOU. You've got a bigger one, you know, with, with Christ. So, okay. Uh, in verse 20. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. I want some benefit from uh, you and the Lord. Um, Philemon was known for the way that he was a blessing to other believers. He had a house church. In, in his home, the church met. Remember earlier on in the opening paragraph, Paul said, you know, I, just, I just love what you're doing with the saints and everybody's being blessed by you and refreshed by you. and um, you know, all, those, all those wonderful things. And so Paul says, you know, Philemon, all those things you're known for, everything that, that people are saying about you, you know, Philemon, a great guy, he really blesses the church, he's a fantastic uh, brother. Everything the church is saying about you, Philemon, I want to see it for me. And Philemon, the way I'll experience it isn't if you preach a great sermon, if you meet the goal of the capital fundraising campaign, if you set up programs and ministries. Philemon, the way you will benefit me and the Lord is by letting your life and your relationship with Onesimus be shaped by the person of Jesus Christ. Paul sabotaging him. You see that? Sabotaging him. Okay. Maybe you can illustrate this way. I mean, th th this happens wherever Christians go, actually. Whenever Christians actually live as Christians, whenever we actually uh, believe, not just believe, but actually live in the love of God and Christ by the grace of God, um, th this kind of sabotage thing goes on. Uh, let me remind you the, the, the time that Paul and Silas went into uh, uh, Philippi and they were preaching the gospel and, and, uh, and sharing the gospel. One day they were going down to the river where, where they would gather for prayer and for worship and so forth. And uh, uh, there was this slave girl who was possessed by an evil spirit. 
and she had the ability to tell the future. Now, actually, she can't tell the future. Devil doesn't know the future. God alone knows the future. But uh, she had, had this sort of demonic gift of convincing people she could tell the future. And her owners would hire her out. And if you wanted to know your future, uh, you, you'd pay the owner's money. And then this poor girl, possessed of an evil spirit, uh, would give you, sort of tell your, your, your fortune for you. Well, she's going along. The evil spirit in her uh, is, is sort of mocking Paul and Silas and just making fun of them. And uh, the scripture says Paul was annoyed. And, uh, and he turned around and he rebuked the evil spirit. The spirit came out of her. And oh, how we would love to just know what happened to her after that. Because what we know is for the first time in her life, she was in her right mind. For the first time in her life, she was an actual human being. Now here's what the world does, her owners. Her owners don't look at her and say, wow, praise the power of this Jesus because look, Look, she's restored to her right mind. She's restored to humanity. They didn't say, oh, this, this girl who has suffered so much and has been this pitiable creature, now look how lovely and wonderful she is. Look how uh, she has been restored in Christ. They didn't say that. They looked at her and said, well, there goes the paycheck. There go the royalties. And so they complain about Paul and Silas because they restored this girl to humanity. And they complain, we've lost our income. They did this. They had no right to do that. Society rose up and said, absolutely, you can't take away a man's income without asking him. After all, it's only on blah, 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 blah. They beat Paul and Silas. They throw him in jail. They tell the jailer, look, if he escapes, you're in big trouble. So the jailer throws him in the jail inside the jail. And Paul and Silas start singing hymns, and they start praising God, and they start worshiping God, you know? And as they're worshiping, this earthquake comes, and it opens all the doors in the prison. Now, the jailer, whose responsibility it is to keep all the prisoners in there, thinks that all the, all, all the prisoners have, have run away, and so he comes in, he has his sword, and he's about to fall on his sword, he's about to kill himself, because that would be better than what's in store for him, because he's allowed all his prisoners to escape. Paul cries out and says, don't, don't, we're all here. Wait a minute, this, this isn't right. The way people behave is they run. When the doors open, they run. This isn't right. They should have come out in a mob and attacked me or something. They're all here? And the world of this Philippian jailer is turned upside down. Everything he thought about human beings is turned upside down. The machinery of his, of his notions and, 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 and uh, conceptions is totally sabotaged. So he says, what must I do to be saved? He believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. He and his whole household are all saved. And the world is turned upside down. This is what happens when believers stand with Christ and pay the price that Christ would pay. So Paul's doing that with, with uh, Philemon here. Uh, I think we're at the end of verse 20. Refresh my heart in Christ. That word refresh is the same word he used in, er, earlier on in the opening verses when he said, I hear that all the saints are refreshed in you, Philemon. He says, now you do that for me, and here's how it works. You become more like Jesus, all right? Refresh my heart in Christ. Now, finish it off. 
confident of your obedience. Obedience to whom? Paul had already said, I'm not going to tell you what to do, right? He already said, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I could, but I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm just going to tell you, this is Onesimus. He's a brother of ours now, and uh, I think you should do the right thing. Uh, in other words, the obedience Paul's talking about there is not obedience to Paul, it's obedience to Christ. He says, Philemon, I think you love Jesus just enough that he, he can break through your barriers. Okay? So, uh, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. You'll do even more. See, he never once said, I want you to set Onesimus free. It's just the logic of it. I mean, it, it, it's the unmistakable calculus of what Paul has said. You've got to set your brother free. You know? and, and this whole dynamic, this whole socially acceptable thing of, of slavery has just got to go. He says, I, I think you're going to do even more than, than what I say. And then he says this. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, Philemon, you're praying that I, I would be delivered, through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Isn't that an interesting way to say it? He says, Philemon, I'm, I'm just trusting that my master, and I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ, that he will give me to you. See how, how, how Paul's still identifying with Onesimus. But he says, I'm, I'm coming, give me, give me a spot ready, give me, have a bed, a, a guest room ready. I hope to see you. Now here's one of the things that I wish we had. In the Bible, I wish we had a book called Second Philemon. You know, I would just love to, to have Second Philemon where Paul says, Paul, apostle, writing to Philemon, thank you, thank you, thank you. you know, I was so encouraged by the way you received Onesimus and embraced him. I would love to, to have that, but it's, it's, it's not there. It's, it's left open-ended. There's certain uh, legends and, and sort of speculations about what happened to Onesimus, but, but by and large, this, this is where we're left for the most part. It's an open question for, um, for Onesimus. So um, what can we say? We get into this thing where we're just going down the momentum of the world, accepting society, um, and, and the gears and the mechanisms of our complacency are just rolling and, and like clockwork, and Jesus sabotages the works. And a lot of times he does it through a brother or sister in Christ. And if you live for Christ, you will also sabotage the works of a sinful world. That's why, that, that's why they're not going to like you very much. And what that means is we need to love Christ more. We need to delight in who he is more and more. Study him. Study the, the scriptures about him. Know his words. Know his deeds. And have it so fill our minds and our hearts that at a moment's notice, the Holy Spirit can reach down and bring out something about Christ that, that would affect our conversation or how we deal with people or how we deal with a problem. We need to love Christ more and delight in him. And then we need to love his people more because we're in this together. We need to love the body of Christ more. Here's how much Jesus loved the church. He gave himself for her. 
that he might present her holy and spotless and blameless before the Father. We need to love the people of Christ more and encourage one another and build each other up. If one of us stumbles, somebody else comes along and they're the presence of Christ to lift, lift us up. We need to love the, 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 the church, the body of Christ, so that uh, we, we have this anxiety that we're just anxious that our children would see Jesus in us and they would be drawn to him and that all the things the world is telling to our children, we would sabotage every message so it doesn't get through. And every time the world says, you, you've got to do this, you've got to be popular, you've got to, you've got to try this, you've got to experiment, you've got to rebel, you've got to... We've got to sabotage the world so they don't get through to our children. We need to love our, our church and our children in our church and the, the members of our church because we're in this together. And then, uh, lastly, we need to love others as Christ loved them. Nothing will confuse somebody mad at you more than when you love them. I mean, they, they won't know what to do with it. They might get madder at you. But uh, uh, we just need to love people the way Jesus loved them and uh, to let Jesus be seen in us. And so when we look at Philemon, the letter of Philemon, Jesus, the grand saboteur, but Paul, the little saboteur, because Christ is in him. And my prayer for you is that you would rejoice in the opportunity to gum up the works of the world and to put Jesus on display. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, we know we're not sufficient for these things. We know that apart from you and the work of your Holy Spirit, we, we're utterly without resources. But Father, we know that in Christ, your Holy Spirit supplies our every need. And so I'm praying that we would have that kind of faithfulness, that kind of earnestness about being absolutely living for Christ each day. Father, for the person here that this sermon didn't make any sense because they don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, I'm praying for that person that today would be the day, reach out 